0: Welcome to Grace Church of Orange. We are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. We are so glad you have joined us on this beautiful Easter day to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to sing our hearts out to the Lord, we're gonna pray dependently, and we're gonna hear the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Is that on? Can you hear me? Great. Okay, well, happy Easter. Good morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. indeed. Praise the Lord. It is so good to be together, and every day is Resurrection Day, right, for a believer, but today is a special day to celebrate that Jesus is risen from the dead, so it is so good to be together this morning. If you're new here, we want to welcome you and uh, just say thank you so much for joining us this morning at Grace. We're a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. That's what we're all about here, and everything we do angles towards that. So uh, for everybody, just a few uh, announcements, things to keep in mind this morning. They're actually all right in front of you in the cards that you've been given, so I'm going to walk you through those right now. You should have three things in front of you, and the first is this little card, which is A promo for VBS. So, VBS is coming this summer. It's going to be an awesome week uh, out here under the tent. One of the last events we'll do under the tent, actually. And if you have kids who are in that VBS uh, age range, or if you're someone who'd like to be a leader in VBS, today is the day that sign ups open for you to either sign up your kid or uh, register yourself as a leader. So, there's a link on there, and if you go to that link, you can register for classes and get all set up there. Second thing that you should have in front of you is a Summer at Grace uh, calendar. So that's just something that lets you know these are the big events coming up over the summer. We're really excited. We've been uh, planning uh, a summer of events to bring the church together to uh, worship the Lord and to grow the body. So uh, we're excited about that. Uh, today would be a great day to just throw those into your calendar really quickly so you can uh, be in the know. And then last, there's just the normal announcements uh Sheet in front of you, and that has some updates uh, from this week, and it also has a QR code where you can receive more information, sign up for events, uh, edit your information, all that kind of good stuff. So with that, uh, that brings announcements to a close, and we are going to begin our service together by reading from God's Word. So if you're able, you can stand with me now and open up your Bible to Luke 24, Luke 24. And we're going to be reading several times from this passage this morning. I'm going to begin by reading verses 1 through 12. Luke 24, starting in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. And Lord, we we thank you for the chance to gather this morning. We know that It was on this day that we just read about 2,000 years ago that the Lord Jesus was raised. And in his resurrection, there is an ocean of hope and joy and life for us. So we praise you, and we ask that you would help us to worship you this morning in humble awe and adoration. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
2: from
3: Bibles once again. We're going to continue on in Luke chapter twenty, 24, starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see.
2: be dancing in the darkness and let our song break through the night lift your voice and sing that Christ is King for Jesus
1: For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to finish reading in Luke 24, and we'll read verses 25 to 35, so you can turn there again with me now. Luke 24, starting in. In verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has indeed risen and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You may be seated. And in a moment, we're going to go to the Lord together in prayer. Before we do, just want to mention that uh, as we pray, we'll be praying for one of our missionary uh, families, and that is... Uh, Folly and Lily Ravwangi, and they are uh, serving in Madagascar, strengthening the church there, and so uh, as we pray, we'll pray for them as we pray as well for our morning. So let's uh, go to the Lord together now. Lord Jesus, we we are in awe of you. You are the one who from eternity has been God, and yet you came to earth, took on flesh, lived among us, died on the cross, rose again. You're exalted to the Father's right hand, and you are coming again to reign forever. You are the only true King and the only Savior of the world. And Lord, we uh, thank you and praise you for this privilege to gather together this morning to worship you as the risen Savior. Lord, we, we have hope and life, forgiveness of sins, all because you died and were raised again. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would work in our hearts to give us greater love for you, that you would open our eyes to see you more clearly, and we would be amazed and thankful that you are the one who is risen. Lord, we know that if Christ is still dead, if Christ has not been raised, then we are still dead in our sins. But we thank you and praise you that you have been raised and that in you we have uh, hope that we too will be raised. Lord, we thank you that you are the first fruits, and that we will follow you in resurrection into a resurrection to eternal life, Lord. All of our hope—it's bound up in you. All of our, uh, all of our hope that we would someday be with God—it's all bound up in you. And Lord, we thank you that when you rose, you showed that through death you had conquered death, and you had taken away the power of our enemy, the devil, and you had given freedom to your people, Lord. We we praise you. Lord, all, all worship, it belongs to you. And so we ask this morning that, that we would give you just that as you deserve. And Lord, we pray for uh, uh, Folly and Lily, Rabwangi and Madagascar. We thank you so much that this gospel that we celebrate this morning has gone all across the world and that they're there working uh, for the same mission, having the same gospel, strengthening the churches who believe in the same Christ. Lord, we pray that um, you would bless their ministry, and Lord, that you would encourage them as they are laboring in the work. Would you cause their work to bear fruit, and would you strengthen your church in Madagascar so that there be many Bible-believing congregations who love Christ and who are devoted to your word. And Lord, as we just again think about uh, the joy that it is to gather together this morning, we thank you that even as we celebrate the resurrection and worship you, Lord Jesus, there are churches all around the globe who are doing the same, and we thank you that we are a part of your body and have one faith, one hope, one spirit, one baptism, one Lord, one God and Father over all. Lord, we belong to you. We are your people through the shed blood of Christ. And we praise you this morning for everything that He is to us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Uh.
3: you and praise you this morning, that you would send Christ to live a perfect life and to die on our behalf, and not only to die, but to rise again, that in this, in this week full of emotion, thinking of the saddest of days, and yet rejoicing even now on this glorious Easter morning, that Christ indeed is risen from the dead, that is our hope That's where we place our faith and our trust that Christ, our Savior, is no longer dead, but he's risen. We rejoice in that truth. We celebrate that truth this morning. We ask that you would help us to see that more clearly. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: What do you think might have been the most important thing that the resurrected Christ would tell his followers on the very first resurrection day? That's what we're going to see today in Luke chapter 24. So open a copy of the scriptures, the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, to Luke 24. And we're going to pick the story up in verse 13, where you see sadness on the first Easter. Now, you're joyful today. Even if you're not joyful, you put on a happy face. You're looking great. Uh, But the very first Easter, very first Easter, extreme sadness. We encounter two forlorn followers of Christ that are going home, uh, dejected, downcast, defeated deflated, they're walking to Emmaus. They have declared the mission of failure, they gave up. Now, wouldn't you think that someone who had witnessed Christ's perfect life and painful death and heard or saw empty tomb evidence of the promised resurrection, wouldn't you think that they would be fully convinced on the first Easter, you'd think that those closest would be most joyful. Who were they? Two followers of Christ. Some say two men. Others say a man and a woman. We know one was Cleopas. We know he's a man. Some say he was with his wife Mary, who would have been there at the cross. They had witnessed the cross. But whoever they are, Christ is dispatched ASAP on this first Easter to help these key witnesses to his works as he is continuing confirming the gospel message. And these two meet a fellow traveler on the road, and it is not a random meeting. It's Jesus, but God keeps them from recognizing that it's Christ, and they are going to receive a providential, perfectly timed message from God. The very first Easter, as they're sad and discussing these things together. And Jesus, who they do not recognize, asks them, What are you discussing? And they just stand still in their tracks and they're looking sad. Cleopas throws back at him, You don't know? Are you going to tell me you're the only one in these parts that that doesn't know what's been going on? And so they explain how Christ was delivered over and crucified, and they make it very clear that they do not believe the resurrection happened. We had hoped that he would redeem Israel. Speaking like that, saying redeem Israel, means they wanted to be freed politically from Rome. They were thinking of the wrong thing. And then they say this, and by the way, it's been three days. So we're done. We're going home. We're going back to Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Basically, they're saying, insinuating very strongly, we guess it isn't true. It's been three days, and sure, we heard the testimony of of some women amongst us that said that that the tomb was empty. They weren't even believing the testimony of women in those days. A sad thing. But we guess it isn't true. The tomb is empty, and we're finished. And Jesus helps them. Jesus helps them, and the first thing he does to help them is he corrects them. Look at verse 25. He calls them foolish. You don't understand. You're unintelligent, literally. They're thinking they're talking to a total stranger. It's amazing that a fight didn't break out. You're foolish, and you're slow of heart to believe. Getting in a fight with Jesus. Can you picture it? Foolish, not understanding, unintelligent, slow of heart to believe. You're not putting your trust in the Bible. You're unbelieving of all that the prophets have spoken. It said that seeing is believing. They could not. What had happened what had been promised, predicted, it had played out perfectly, and they did not believe the resurrection. Now, most of the major doctrines of the Christian faith are centered in Christmas and Easter. You've got the incarnation and the virgin birth. You've got the blood atonement and the substitutionary sacrifice. You've got redemption and justification and resurrection and ascension, the promised return. There's a lot of people who have trouble with the story and believing in a crucified, risen, returning Savior. That might be you today. Maybe for you, all of life's frustrations have piled up like unpaid bills and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I can grasp a savior who paid my debt to God. And these two troubled travelers are, are downward spiraling. And fresh out of the grave, Jesus reminds them what he did and why and they don't even know it's him. First he corrects them, like how could you miss this? You did not believe the word of God. You didn't believe it. You've rejected it. You rejected the word of God. And then he questions them. The next thing he does, first he corrects them, then he questions them, look at verse 26. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer? Literally be acted upon and suffer these things? and then enter, or literally go into glory, necessary. That means binding. Like, it's going to happen, because the word of God is absolute, and it makes whatever it talks about absolute. It is resolute. It will happen. Christ's suffering and glory was necessary. You need to grasp that today. You need to grasp that it was absolutely essential for Jesus to die on the cross and rise from the dead. And you cannot say, well, he died on the cross, I believe that, but I don't believe he rose from the dead. That's what these two were saying. You cannot say that. Resurrection is not some icing on the cake surprise like a bonus. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world was killed for us in our place to be raised to life so that we could be brought into the presence of God. It was absolutely, unchangeably necessary for Christ to die and rise again. Absolutely necessary. No gospel without the cross and resurrection. No missions, no salvation, no worship. Matthew 16, 21 it tells us that Jesus began to show, he's gonna do it many times, he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. First Corinthians 15, Paul says it very strongly. I deliver to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, what the scripture said would happen. And he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures, according to what God's word said would happen. You must believe that God definitely did what the Bible says he would do. The cross, God's supreme act of love, John says God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the mercy seat sacrifice for our sins. And John says we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. You must believe it the resurrection, an act of God involving all three persons of the Trinity. In John 10, Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again in this charge I receive from my Father. The apostles are preaching in the book of Acts and they say, we bring you good news that, that what God promised to the fathers it was written in the scriptures this he has fulfilled by raising jesus as it is written in the second psalm you are my son today i have begotten you and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption he has spoken in this way in the scriptures i will give you the holy and sure blessings of david a throne forever Romans 1, 4 says that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. His resurrection transformed his body, enabled him to move around unseen, glorified, deathless. That's why he can, in, as we read this passage, you see that he just appears, and he, he goes, and he lives in that body forever Christians alive at the return of Christ will be transformed as well those who died before his return will also be transformed never to die again because of the certainty of the resurrection as acts 1:3 says he presented himself alive after suffering by many proofs appearing to them over 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of god paul preaching in athens says in Acts 17, the times of ignorance got overlooked. But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent, turn from your sins, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given full assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This victory over death led to his ascension and heavenly reign. Right now he is praying for us in heaven. It guarantees, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, it guarantees you forgiveness. It guarantees you justification. It's your your hope of eternal life. The resurrection is absolutely necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory because God said so. You can be confident today that God will do exactly what he says he will do in the future based on the resurrection. Bolster your assurance by believing the word of God. And this says something to us about Jesus and the word of God. What does it tell us? If Jesus died and rose again, and he absolutely did, then he is God. Jesus is God. First Timothy three tells us about the, the mystery of godliness. And then it says some things about Christ. And when we think of godliness, we think, oh, you mean me, you know, living a godly life. That's not what this is about. Godliness can be translated devotion, of course, but it can also be translated revelation, and it's this the focus on a doxology, the praise to God is on God, not the godliness of people. And it says, great is the mystery of godliness, and it speaks of Christ. He was manifested in the flesh. There's the incarnation. He was vindicated by the Spirit. There's the resurrection. He was seen by angels, appearances. He was proclaimed among the nations, evangelism. He was believed on in the world, discipleship. He was taken up in glory, the ascension. He had to die. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ came to the earth To save sinners, he had to rise. 2 Timothy 2.8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. See, Jesus is God, and God's word is true. That's what this passage is telling us. That's what Jesus wanted to tell these two forlorn followers on the first Easter. He said, I am God, and the Bible's true. Believe it. If God's word is true, then it tells us some other things that Jesus really is saying here: is that it's authoritative. If it's true, it's authoritative. It's over everything. It rules over everything. You should have believed it. Prophecy, the prophecies and promises of God, they are meant to infuse strength and unbending hope in your soul. They are taken at face value by the regenerate. If you are Born again by the Spirit of God, if you are regenerated, if you are a believer, if you trust your your entire soul to God, then you take the Word of God at face value. Psalm 138 tells us that God has exalted above all things His name and His Word. There is none higher than Him. There is nothing better than what He said. So you can cling to Christ and believe the Word of God. He keeps his promises. He fulfills his purposes. He never leaves you or forsakes you. He, if if you're a believer, he will complete the work that he started in you. Scripture's authority commands you. it, It directs you. Psalm 73 says, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Like while I am living here, you guide me with your word and then someday you will take me to be with you. Psalm 119.35 says, lead me in the path of your commands. What a prayer. Lead me in the paths of your word, for I delight in it. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is a, a lamp to my feet, a light to my path that shows the way to go. It is authoritative and it is also binding. The word of God is true. It is authoritative. It is binding. You hear me say this a lot. It is conscience binding because you obey it or you suffer the consequences. The eye of faith sees what depravity obscures, and you are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And if your heart and mind is tethered to reality and it is anchored in Christ and being renewed by the Word of God, then you will not become unhinged by your own devices. Deep feelers see needs and they want to meet all the needs. Well, deep feelers need to be deep believers or else you're gonna to get tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine as you go try to meet every need in the world. And you're gonna start adopting beliefs that aren't true. Deep feelers need to be deep believers. Because the word of God is authoritative. It is true, it is authoritative, it is binding, and it also changes you. And we're gonna see a change that comes over these two that's miraculous and is only can, be, can come from God. It changes you. Psalm 19 talks about what God's word does. God's word does something in the soul of the person that receives it by faith. Psalm 19 says the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. Verse seven, revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. Precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Gives you Understanding. in this current climate in which we're living, you can easily be canceled if you don't conform to culture. And therefore, for every believer, it is very crucial for you to let the word of God control you and change you. As the Holy Spirit illumines it in your life, Uh, the illumination of the word of God means he helps you understand the word. God helps you understand the word of God. When you're indwelt by the spirit of God, the spirit of God helps you understand the word of God. This is why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 119, verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. And and you notice what the psalmist wants to do, wants to meditate, wants to think about, wants to roll it over in his heart and mind, God's word and how it ought to be brought to bear upon his life. The psalmist also prays Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your word. Paul prays in Ephesians 1 that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of him. Open the eyes of your heart. Because the spirit of God uses the inspired, inerrant, infallible word, the authoritative word, the binding word, the the changing word that changes you. It doesn't change. It's fixed forever. But it changes you. It opens blind and even cloudy and even foggy eyes. So this is about Christ in Scripture, where you can rejoice in God's work, rejoice in his suffering and his glory. You receive the word of God, you believe it, because as Jesus opened it up to them here and explains it, you trust the spirit of God today to give you insight into the word of God so that you can please God in your life, that you can not live a double life, that you can't serve two masters, that you would have single-hearted devotion to Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, the Bible is true. Believe it and remind yourself daily of it. Then get up on the biggest soapbox you can find and proclaim it to everyone you know and keep reminding, preach it to yourself, preach it to your household, preach it to your friends and your neighbors. And don't let your foot get caught in a trap of deception. We live in deceptive times. It's easy, I think, to fall into a pit, to dabble in something you don't think is so dangerous. And the next thing you know, you're descending into depraved madness. And it might not be catastrophic as you saying, well, Jesus isn't God or the Bible's not true, but it's just going to start with a hairline crack. And you let some false idea in the door You entertain some heresy, and your mind gets altered. You have to guard your heart and not give the devil a foothold and evict the false ideas and change the locks, basically. And and you, you run across a lot of Christians who are rejecting the faith today. These two, on the road to Emmaus, were rejecting the faith. They were rejecting the resurrection. They were rejecting the word of God. They didn't believe. Now, people who reject the faith always have an issue with Christ and scripture. They might throw up a smoke screen and say, well, no, you know, Christians are hypocrites. Or the church let me down. But their real issue is with Jesus and the Bible. You can rejoice. If you're a believer, you can rejoice in Christ. Believe the Word of God. Don't you know this had to be what Jesus is questioning them? And next, after correcting them and questioning them, he comforts them. And he does so in the form of a Bible drill, really, or a Bible study. And they don't even know it's Jesus yet. They still don't know it's Jesus. And basically, this guy on the road who knows a lot about the Bible, says, I- I'm gonna show you. Here, I- I'm gonna show you. And what's happening is the living word of God is opening up the written word of God as they listen. And it says, look at verse 27, beginning from Moses, first five books of the Old Testament, beginning from Moses, from all the prophets, he explained or interpreted to them the things concerning himself. And they didn't know it was Jesus. mind Mind-blowing. This, this guy on the road puts his arms around the whole Old Testament and says, the central message is Jesus Christ. And, and the whole Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament says he's coming. The gospels say he has arrived. The Acts proclaims him. The epistles explain him. And Revelation expects him to return. First verse in the Bible In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ was the agent of creation. John 1.3, everything that has come into being has been created by him, by Christ. Colossians 1.16 says, all things are from him and by him and for him. You go to the last verse in the Bible, Revelation 22.21, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. You got the bookends of the Bible, first verse, last verse. The whole book is about Jesus. It is a Jesus book. It's all about the Lord Jesus. And the risen Jesus teaches these two a Bible study as they're walking that seven-mile road to Emmaus. We don't know how far along the road they were when Jesus showed up, we don't, we, but for several hours, presumably, they're, they're having a Bible study. And God is still keeping their eyes closed, by the way. They still don't know it's Jesus. And he explained or interpreted to them the things concerning himself. He's pointing Christ out throughout the whole Old Testament. And and to to explain it means he he did it thoroughly. Literally, he translated it for them. It's like that word is used of interpreting a foreign language. And he explains what was difficult for them to grasp because he's the best expository preacher ever. And he gives them comfort. And he basically tells them, you need to see Christ in all of Scripture, and they still don't know it's Christ that's explaining it. So he starts in Moses, first five books, and you know, we don't know where he went, we just know he went through. Maybe he started at Genesis 3:15, the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. And maybe he went to Genesis 12:3, promising Abram that that all the nations would be blessed in him. But whatever he's doing, he's showing how all the scriptures point to Christ, how the ark pointed to Christ, how Isaac pointed to Christ, how the Passover lamb pointed to Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He points to the brazen serpent, how it points to Christ, and the scapegoat, how it points to Christ. Numbers 21, Moses put up that bronze serpent in the wilderness, set it on a pole. If the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Jesus said in John three, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up, crucified, and risen, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Surely he spoke of the Day of Atonement. Many think the Day of Atonement is a model of Jesus' priesthood that was copied and fulfilled. No, the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament was the copy of Christ's atonement at the cross. The Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, the high priest would go through the Tabernacle, various rooms and furniture into the Holy of Holies and the Ark with the Mercy Seat. And it wasn't a model, it was a copy. The reality is that Jesus went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not of this creation, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all. And now he serves in the heavenly tabernacle, interceding for every believer. The Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, temporary access was granted into the presence of God after the tabernacle had been cleansed with no defilement, this annual day of atonement, Aaron would kill the sacrifice and enter the Holy of Holies with with the blood and pour it out on the mercy seat. And Hebrews 9.23 tells us, if the copy, the wilderness tabernacle, if that needed purification, then heavenly things had to be purified with better sacrifices. Animal blood could not atone, sinful human blood could not atone, only the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, could bring sinners into the holy God's presence. Atonement was made in the presence of God in heaven. It was a a transaction within the fellowship of the eternal Trinity, with the Son willing through the Spirit to do the Father's will, and Christ's blood opened up the way to God for us. And Christ, unrecognized to these two travelers, is explaining these things. How it was appointed and predestined by God, planned before the foundation of the world. And this is just God-exalting, mind-stunning truth. God's glorious gospel goal that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This act of God with staggering implications and Jesus, unbeknownst to them, they, they can't recognize him, he is explaining Christ is our high priest. By his blood he opened up a new and living way to the presence of God and that is why a Christian can draw near in full assurance of faith and live the Christian life and persevere and look to Christ and even share Christ's suffering. And what the resurrected Christ was telling these two on that day before they even recognized him is the first Easter is no time to throw in the towel and either is April 4th, 2021. This is the time to rejoice in the reality of a heaven-securing victory for the elect. The Christ's substitutionary sacrifice at the cross was necessary, and so was the resurrection. And he went through all the prophets. Maybe 2 Samuel 7, Nathan to David, throne established forever forever. Or Isaiah seven fourteen, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Maybe Isaiah 53, surely Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions, and it was the will of God to crush him, that he would see his offspring, the resurrection. And, and surely he, he probably went to Daniel, Chapter 7, and one like the Son of Man who is given dominion and glory and the kingdom forever. And to Micah, O oh, Bethlehem, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from, from ancient days. Surely he went to Zechariah 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Because what he is telling these two is, Today you both need to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Believe the word. Do not be disbelieving but believe. It was like what Jesus told Thomas 8 days later. Here, put your finger here. Here, see your ha- see my hands. Here, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. Jesus is God, the Bible is true. And in that moment Jesus is restoring their hearts. Word of God comforts because Jesus cares for you. You know that you can cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. The Lord dwells with the downtrodden and the despairing and the lonely and the lowly. He says, I, I dwell in a high and holy place and also with those who are contrite and of lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and contrite. They beg Jesus to... Stay with them. Come into their home and he's at table with them and he breaks bread and their eyes are opened by God and they say, it's Jesus. And he vanishes. Poof. And they're like, our hearts knew it. He revived them. He regenerated them. They're rejoicing. And that very night, they hightail it back to Jerusalem. They run a 10K really quick, and they get back there, and they give testimony with joy, Easter joy. And look at verse 34. Put your eyes on verse 34. We say it every Easter. He is risen indeed. They say it. You know why? Because they didn't believe it before. Now they're saying, okay, he really has risen. We believe it he has appeared to Peter, indeed he has risen. That means certainly, verily, even if you want to use that word. In point of fact, as opposed to pretending or believing something false or fictitious. No, they're pointing out that which indeed is true. He has risen indeed. If you say it, You believe it, you have to believe it. And Jesus appears, all of a sudden now, boom, there he is. Verse 40, he shows them his hands and feet, he eats broiled fish, good choice. What, how great Christian fellowship is. And then he says in verse 44, everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He opens their minds to understand the word of God and they worship with great Easter joy The Savior's assurance leads them to surrender to him and to his sovereign sufficiency. They surrender to Christ. I was listening to a podcast recently of an ex-hockey player, pro-hockey player, explaining how his life got turned around. And he's teeing it up like it sounds like a testimony of faith in Christ. And he he said, when I drive the bus, it always crashes. And I was an alcoholic and and I had to surrender my life and now I experience love and joy and, and peace. And I'm waiting for Christ. I'm waiting for him to say Christ. I'm waiting for him to say, and I love the Lord Jesus Christ, but he didn't. He didn't say it. Here's what he said. I surrendered my will to the universe. And the universe has not once let me down. Ecclesiastes 7:29 says, Man seeks out many schemes. Proverbs says, There's a way that seems right to a man, and it's the way of death. 2 Corinthians tells us, Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving that they would not see the glory of God in Christ. But if you're a Christian today, you belong to Christ, you love Christ you join a church, you confess your sins, you live for his glory, you long for his return, you help people who are hurting, you speak the truth in love, you reject lies, you honor God's design because you believe that Jesus is God and the Bible is true. So today, do you believe to the point of absolute surrender in worshipful trust and obedience to God. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you do, you will have sweet comfort from the God of all comfort as he opens up to you the word of God. Here we have the risen Christ helping, mercifully helping two needy followers on first Easter Corrects them, he questions them, he comforts them. And the most important thing that Jesus said on on the first resurrection day is, I am God and the Bible is true. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you that that is true, that you are who the Bible says you are, that you do what the Bible says you do, that you, you will do what the Bible says you will do, and that all of our attempts to make ourselves better or earn your favor will never measure up. And if we're in you, if we're in Christ, our sins no longer define us. We have a new life in you. We, we've died with you. We, we're risen with you, and our burden rolls away at the cross. We praise you, Lord, that it was absolutely necessary and unchangeably so, for you to die and rise again. We believe it. We believe that you are God and the Bible is true. We praise you, we thank you, we love you, we worship you. And we pray in the name of Christ, amen. Now we get to hear a testimony and see a baptism of someone who deeply loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And before we have this baptism, I just want to say that baptism doesn't save you, Jesus saves you. Remember last week, we looked at the the criminal number two on the cross who confessed his sins, who confessed Christ's sinlessness, who cried out for mercy, and what did Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Baptism is not essential for salvation, but it is commanded for discipleship, for obedience. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to obey Jesus Christ. First step of discipleship. First step out the door of a brand new believer is get baptized. So let's go ahead and uh, hear this testimony and see this baptism.
4: Yes, if if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then there is no baptism. But the fact is Christ is raised from the dead. It's the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. And God has transformed Anna Woodson's heart and given her the courage and strength to stand before you today and give her testimony of how God has called her to be, to be his own. So, Anna, you have your testimony.
5: Hi, my name is Anna Woodson, and I'm almost 14. I've been in a church, attending this church with my family for around six years and had the blessing of growing up in a Christian home and being taught about Jesus by a number of different churches and family members. Ever since I was young, I think I've had at least a basic understanding of what being Christian or getting baptized means but I don't think that until recently I've put the two together. I mean it like this. out of obedience to God and his word. After I have faith in him, I want to get baptized. I definitely don't want to stand in front of a bunch of people and be nervous, but I do want to proclaim my faith and exhibit this as a symbol of what he's done for me on the cross. In this last year or so, I believe that what there is, through what has been going on in the world and clear teaching in junior high, God has made me more dependent on him. He has opened my eyes to the truth that I need a savior. I need to be satisfied in Christ and take my joy in him. I need to not rely on worldly pleasure. I'm a sinner and I exist for him. Everyone under Adam is getting judgment and everyone under Christ is getting righteousness. God chooses and it's a good thing. He is the one who worked and changed my life. I always want to take the credit, but I need to remember the glory should go to God. And in this world, I'm going to have trouble, but I can take heart because Christ has overcome the world. To sum it up, I want him to change and rule my life.
1: Very
4: good, Anna. (laughs) So based on your testimony, you have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Yes. And today, um, you want to be baptized out of obedience to Christ. Yes. Okay, very good. Why don't you kneel down in the water, and we'll do our traditional Okay, Anna Woodson, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right, very good. Yeah, let's let's pray for Anna now and she now has confessed and joined us well, joined us a while ago but now has confessed her faith in Christ join me in prayer Father we thank you for your transforming work in our hearts and our minds as only through you can our hardened hearts be made soft and pliable and receptive to the gospel to your son to the sacrifice on the cross to his death On the cross his burial and his resurrection we thank you for your work in anna we pray for your strength and the power of your holy spirit to indwell her to encourage her and to convict her as she continues to walk her life to glorify you in all that she does and all that you have planned for her in jesus name we pray amen
3: amen would you stand if you're able and join us as we close singing hallelujah what a savior
2: Man of sorrows. What? voices. When He comes
0: Savior. Amen. Praise God. So make sure you take these three cards with you. Make sure you sign up for Vacation Bible School before it gets all filled up. Today is the first day. Summer calendar, all that stuff. And also, there will be a day when this tent comes down. The day is coming soon. June 6th, we'll be back inside. And this will be up till the end of June uh, through Vacation Bible School. So I think it's very appropriate to close today with Ephesians Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And we wish you all a wonderful day. I hope you have a great time together with family, friends, whatever you do today. Rejoice in Christ, worship Jesus as God, and believe the Bible is true. And here's what these verses say Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Amen. What a great time we had of worshiping the Lord together, and we are so glad you joined us. If you can join us in person, we meet every Sunday, 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here with us. For more information, you can go to graceorange.org. But until then, God bless you, and may you worship Jesus Christ with everything you've got.